0: Hey, have you been outside yet? Because if you haven't, you should. Go for a bike ride. Go for a run. Go for a walk. Do it during the daytime when you can get some uh, sunlight. You know, that required 20 minutes a day, 20 to 30 minutes. So that way you get your vitamin D and you get the health benefits of it. Good mental health, good physical health and then you could go back to sleep if you want or you can stay up and do all the things that you always say you don't have the time to do hello everyone welcome back to the open bar experience david dacker your host During the month of June, there's going to be a bartender showcase, and it's called the Iron Bartender. You probably have uh, heard here in Houston of the Iron Sommelier. It is uh, Sean Beck of uh, Hugo's, Sochi, Backstreet, uh, of all those restaurants, uh, beverage director at those places. He has uh, been putting together the Iron Som for quite some years. I am familiar with it because uh, when I worked at 60 Degrees Mastercrafted, uh, Vanessa Torina Boyd uh, took part in it, and I know that she was uh, very excited to be part of it. And, and uh, I, I can't remember if she won it or if she got honorable mention. Something along those lines, but the, the girl knows his stuff. Anyways, uh, this year he has uh, started the Iron Bartender, and um, I think it's going to be great. A lot of bartenders in this list are people that I feel should be getting plenty of uh, airplay. All around the city of Houston, from all publications, meaning the Houston Chronicle, Culture Map, uh, Eater, and whatever else, Houston Mag, and, and all the other ones, right? Because uh, I feel like sometimes uh, the local media doesn't give enough um, enough attention to the people in the beverage community because they're focused on one single place, and that is Anvil. And so, just like I have my gripe about. Whenever uh, the the media talks about, publications talk about Texas, they're they're always talking Austin. And so Texas means Austin. And same thing here in Houston. Houston beverage community means Anvil. And that is not true at all. Nowhere near the truth. Okay? So pay attention. Because there's more coming. But the point is that there this is a group of people in a very very varied um uh and in, in a very broad uh concepts so everything from the dive bar to the the very nice um cocktail bars and um and yeah anvil is in there but is part of the group it is not the only thing that uh people are going to talk about but anyways i don't want to digress point is this is benefiting the periwinkle foundation that is very important this is a foundation that uh, got started to help kids um, get through um, the life-changing event of having cancer as a child Um, so they put together camps and uh, other events for these children Uh, but the important thing here well I mean, the whole thing is important. But the 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 main thing here is that they're also, this includes a lot of the, the, the siblings and the family. So it's for the whole family, not just for the child. Because you think of it, and, you know, you have a, a kid, a seven-year-old that has cancer, and they have siblings, whether they're older or younger, and they're watching this happen. I mean, that's, that's uh, very stressful, to say the least. And then in addition to that, you have the parents that are putting so much focus and so much time into the child that has the illness, and they can, you know, inadvertently neglect the other children. So, this camp is very important because it brings the families together to have a little bit of time of, of respite. Of not having, uh, allowing them to forget about what they're going through for just a day or two. Okay, so please uh, participate. Please go out and uh, check out the cocktails that all the uh, the bartenders have put together. It is iron bartender.org there is uh, also you can vote for your popular uh, bartender it's a popular vote one and then there's going to be one with judges but I'll get into that some other time right now I just want you to know that this is happening in the month of June and that is going for a very good cause in my conversation with Patrick Abalos today we talked about a lot of different things Uh, one of them was uh, where he got started you know, in New Mexico. Um and um, he went to hotel restaurant management uh school and then uh, uh pretty much stodged and uh, worked his way up at a restaurant. It's the uh curious uh Conquat, he says. Uh from there he went uh on to uh I think it was Dallas, uh then Orlando and then uh Houston. And he was in when he was working in the woodlands here in Houston that I started to hear about him uh, whenever competition started to get uh, rolling here in Houston where more and more par- people were participating and really the uh, network that the industry is when it comes to, to that kind of, uh, of work and uh, of engagement um, his name started to pop up and so being that he's a reserve guy it took a while to get to know him but he's definitely dedicated to this industry. Um, he has uh, uh, quite a few years uh, under his belt. And um, let's go ahead and hear a uh, little bit more about what he's done and, and what he's about.
1: I've been in the industry for about going on 12 years this year. Um, I started my family's uh, shoe store in Silver City, New Mexico. So I'm from New Mexico originally. Um, started there. That's where I got kind of my first dip into the industry as far as hospitality is concerned um went to in silver city i kind of fell in love with culinary arts classes and started getting an internship with a local restaurant there in silver city called the curious Comquat. um kind of started working my way into the kitchen started dishwashing doing kitchen doing pop-up cooking um events that the owners would do um was with him when he started doing the full restaurant concepting kind of was acting as a sous chef during that time um he actually won um James Beard, Southwest, was a nominee in 2012, I believe, was the year. Uh, I'm going to have to double-check and quote on that one. Don't quote me on that one. Um, so that was kind of my first dip into what hospitality was there at the, the Curious Comquat. Um, from there, I went to school uh, in New Mexico State. Um, got my degree in hotel, restaurant, tourism management. Uh, worked with the chefs there at the school as one of their lab assistants or sous chefs during the their culinary classes. So kind of my background's kind of started in culinary kind of end up buying a bar. Um, from there, I worked with the JW Marriott, did an internship out there at the JW Marriott in San Antonio, out at their pool bar, kind of focused on that area. Um, then interviewed with Lowe's Hotels, um, got offered one of the one of four positions as a management trainee through their training program. So I moved to Florida, left, uh, left everything behind, moved to Florida when I graduated from college. Um, did that for about three years. So went through a training program, Worked at all four properties there at Universal Studios. Um, got pretty much touched every single aspect of a hotel. Of course, my training path was in food and beverage, so I started as an assistant restaurant manager. Worked my way to an assistant food and beverage um, manager. And then from there, the beverage position opened. So the beverage manager position opened, and I took over that program for the entire hotel. Did that. Built the entire program. We had 45 cocktails, um, over 300 bottles of wine list, uh, significant beer uh, list as far as draft and bottle product it's kind of where I dipped my started dipping into the bartending scene starting to do the beverage management portion of it um, started working behind the bar bartending um, when we were really busy with the staff um, left Orlando came back to Houston to open the West in the Woodlands uh, built their bar program um, help was part of the opening team it's always was one of my dreams to open a hotel so did that for a year and a half and then I transitioned into focusing more on small business to kind of round out the resume a little bit
0: So you wanted to get into beverage, or it was something that sort of like a bug that bit you? You got behind the bar, and it was like, this is pretty fucking cool. Like, this is better than being on the floor.
1: Yeah, so I kind of started falling in. So when I was the assistant uh, food and beverage manager, went into the specialty restaurant and started taking care of their wine program, and that's kind of where the bug kind of hit in, and then I started finding myself more behind the bar, and that's just kind of where it kind of sunk in, because when you're talking about drinks and cocktails, you're just like being in the kitchen, you're actually taking something and creating a dish with it but instead you're doing liquid instead of actual physical like proteins and vegetables
0: okay so then progressing to okay you want to bring that kitchen into the bar type of idea because in the kitchen you're dealing with heat in the um, in the bar you're mostly uh, dealing with uh, cold ice at what point did you uh, get your own tools
1: yeah, yeah, when I was in Florida and I took over the, the beverage manager position and started working behind the bar, I started noticing right away the difference that, like, the equipment we were using made a humongous difference and impact in, in the cocktails that we were putting out and the product they were putting out, that I, I would go out and I started, bought my first tins and my first trainers and first mixing glasses and everything in Orlando. I still have them with me, too, to this day, too. I still use them, um, but that's pretty much where I started getting into, like, yeah, this is going to be, this is what I want to do, and it just been smooth sailing. Since so that. then the
0: other question in, in that is, um, in order to progress and improve in what you're doing, um, how did you go about that? Because for for me, it was in the kitchen at home a lot. And then when I would get to work, I couldn't do it because I didn't have the technique.
1: Yeah. So, so part of that, I did a lot of a lot of rearing. I've always been a bookworm. So I started buying bar books once I start really getting into like the wine program. And then I started going into like the bar books, a really good one. And then um death and co is a really good book that i reference every so often as well um so i pretty much started doing that by reading and then just going to bars and watching bartenders and what they were doing and then just of course youtube's out there nowadays so you can go to youtube and see what other people were doing and then just kind of develop my own style based on that and same thing with the core classics you can have there's books out there that have it that you have your classics and your foundations and going out to different bars in Orlando and then traveling to D.C. went to D.C. and Philadelphia and just checking out what the bartenders were doing out there and seeing what was different in each individual market and kind of just integrating it into my own personal style. So what did you
0: notice in those markets? Uh,
1: there was a lot of more refinement. So when you go up to the East Coast, the, the bar standing style out there is a little bit more like very specific. It's very polished. Um, all the bars that we went to, everybody's wearing um, vests and bow ties, so very 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 formal cocktail bars we didn't didn't really go in any of the dive bars out there it was more the formal cocktail bars and it, it kind of made sense because that's where and it was a four diamond hotel so they wanted more of that elevated craft as opposed to more of the the looser dive bar kind of feel so okay. that's kind of where that mentality kind of came from
0: what about the uh orlando any memorable bars there
1: the uh one of the ones that i don't know if it's still open there i haven't been out in a while is henson shoe repair It opened. It opened right when we were when I just started taking over the bar programs out there. It was definitely in the truest sense of speakeasy. So it was a bar that you had to go upstairs into the second floor, and then there was a little little door, and then you had to have a passcode to get in. And then there was only maybe 25 people up there at a time. And very very polished service. Bartenders had like this beautiful technique. It was just like watching art and the the flow that they had behind that bar. I remember
0: the Patrick Abalos that was in the Woodlands and was missing out on everything because you you did get involved a little bit in competition, but then you weren't in the circle because you were so far away making meetings to, and all that kind of stuff. So tell me a little bit about that. How is it that you went from that transition of getting into the, the first competition and then becoming the education, uh, having the education chair at the United States Bartenders Guild? Yeah.
1: That was That's kind of a kind of fun story. So I've always been more of a reserved person, per se. I mean, you've kind of gotten to know me. I'm kind of quiet initially, but as I get to know people, I get more open about it. Um, so I felt the need to kind of just kind of branch out and step out of my comfort zone. So that's where I started getting into competitions. Like, the first competition I entered was Espelon, and that's the first official competition I, I entered. Of course, when you do your first competitions, you don't know what to expect, so I kind of felt like a, a, a fish in a shark tank for yeah. the most part with yeah. all these other bartenders. But again, sitting down and talking with them, it kind of made me more relaxed because we all were kind of talking about the same stuff, what we're doing at our bars and how we're trying to essentially push the industry forward here in Houston. So that's kind of where the bug kind of got in was the Escalon competition. And then,
0: how did that translate into uh, getting involved with the United States Bartenders School?
1: So I met Robbie at the actual Escalon competition and that's kind of where I started getting involved in USBG. Paid my dues started attending as many meetings as I could. Of course, the Woodlands Way is about an hour away from here in Houston. um, So I couldn't make all the meetings, especially with my schedule there at the West End. It was always always something going on. So I had to be there at all times. So one of the reasons why I transitioned to small business was to give myself more time to focus on building my brand and helping to develop the concept that is not too sweet now today, our company, and bringing that full circle. Um, So... And just it was part of me stepping out of a comfort zone, getting involved with USPG, meeting the people, starting to network, and then just starting to branch the connections with the suppliers to us as purchasers, and just kind of bridging those gaps to start integrating it into what USPG is. And that's probably one of the reasons why we've been really successful as education chairs having to having those connections that we that I've worked on building to bring them into what we're trying to do for USPG. So that's why we've been very successful in having at least one once a month a some kind of education seminar focused on whatever spirits we want to do whatever we want to focus on like the upcoming we have the Garrison Brothers are coming in not necessarily Garrison Brothers but Garrison Brothers Bourbon is going to be sponsoring it so uh, Shane from San Diego is coming to town and we're going to talk about Texas tour which I'm actually really stoked about because that's something that I don't think anybody else has done before so kind of getting into the nitty-gritty of what makes Texas spirits Texas spirits and how the terroir here is influential to what style of whiskey they're producing at Garrison Brothers. So doing that. And then also the other one I'm really excited about doing is the Agave Lab with Jorge. Um, and he's he's a national one of the national educators for, yeah, for Diageo. And having him come in and do the lab that they normally do only for specific accounts, but having him come in and do one specifically for Houston USBG, which is really exciting. Because normally we won't get that opportunity.
0: So then, whenever you you talk about uh, moving the uh, Houston um, beverage uh, scene and the craft scene forward, um, how do you feel within the the Texas um, the context? What is it that that you think that we're lacking?
1: So Houston, as a whole, I think is is actually is getting more recognition than it used to. Um, we're getting we're starting to become like a food and beverage mecca here in in the United States. Um, we are such a humongous and diverse city that. It's, again, it's been overlooked just because of our size, I think. Um, normally people think of Austin when they come to Texas um, because Austin has, it has that hodgepodge of food, good food, good bars. But Houston is coming up to the point where it has really, we have really good food and we've got really good bar programs coming aboard. Um, so I think it's just been more a lack of recognition on the national scale that's been happening. Like locally, people know what we're doing here in Texas, but I think people haven't necessarily looked at Houston just because of the size of the city which plays a big por- portion of it. Um, and then if you look at the industry that Houston has, as a whole, it's more oil and gas. And we don't have, we're getting more diverse, but I think that's something that's been holding us back.
0: How, I- how is it for you in this process of transitioning from being a bartender? So you you never really just were bartender. You, you, you always sort of like were in charge. And so you, maybe you're to a, an owner or a consultant. An operator, it's a lot smoother and cleaner than probably with people that have grinded out. And, you know, it's one thing to be focused on your bartending. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, you're in charge of everything.
1: Yes. That's that's, so I'm going to talk about Justin right now because Justin, Justin's one of my business partners. So he runs Johnny's gold brick right now. um, And he's really just been bartending his entire career. So he's kind of where the dynamic of us two kind of bounces out where I have the more operational side of it. I've had, I have the, he always reminds me i have the corporate background and he has more of the foundation as a bartender so yeah in that aspect i'm very it's very easy for me to transition over to like consulting and stepping into the role of like helping them develop their programs and get their bar managers going and get their bar teams together um developing the culture for for whatever concept they're building out uh, me and him have had very in-depth discussion about like the culture of what we're planning on building out and it it the transition itself it can be challenging from someone who's just been bartending their entire career, and someone who's been like who kind of I've been bartending off of not like full time, but I'm behind a bar. I've built my skills. I've I bartend now at Mongoose vs Cobra as well on Tuesdays, so still keeping that that whole thing going and alive while still managing my programs. Um, it can be a tough transition just because the it's a, it's not necessarily it's a set mentality that's built in to bartenders but again it's just bridging being able to bridge that gap of i'm no longer just a bartender i'm in charge of this bar program i need to make sure i keep it going um charge to st- scheduling, of scheduling <laughs> char- taking care of staff now not just worrying about your station worrying about the entire the entire the, the, the success of the unit falls on you essentially if you're the general manager of a of a bar of of a bar you're in charge i mean there's no one else it's you and there might be an owner above you or you might have an assistant manager as well Um, It's just being able to take what you've learned as a bartender when you're dealing with people. So that's in and of itself. Dealing with people is a very unique job, and you have to approach it uniquely for each individual person. And the same thing with managing people. It's just like dealing with people behind a bar. Each person, each one of your staff members is different. You just have to make sure your approach is consistent um, across the board for everybody, Um, and just making sure that you have a mentor, someone who's there to support you. And if you know your weaknesses, have someone who bring someone in who's error to help you for your weaknesses. So that's kind of like where me and Justin kind of balance each other out as I have certain skills that he hasn't yet developed, but we're, and I have certain skills that he's better at than I am. That's kind of where we balance each other out. And we're both, we both learn and work with each other aspects. So it, it can be a challenge, but it's again, overcoming your personal, whatever you, whatever is holding you back personally, um, to step into that role. All
0: right. I'm going to jump in here for a second and talk about something that uh, Patrick said and that he just said. And um, I think it's something that is, is very mature of him. Uh, a lot of times, whenever it comes to management, you have to sort of deal with yourself first. Right. And in order to then manage other people, some people are not not capable of managing their own emotions, their own finances, their own home life. Um and so and then for whatever reason, good or bad, they get moved up and put in a position to manage others. And that's where you get these sometimes, not always, but sometimes these toxic management styles. And uh if you've been in the industry for you know longer than than 10 years or even f- 5 to 6 years, I'd say, uh then you probably witness that and you probably would have you have been in the business longer than 10 years then you have seen some of the very worst that sometimes is uh well that it can be the cause for a lot of the stress that people have been handling um with uh, mental health issues and and things like that so some of this stuff has got a very uh deep history but anyways i just want to say that i felt that that was very mature of patrick to point out that it is a emotional intelligence that is required to manage other people and i know that in my process that is one of the things that i had to face because um you know first off i was coming from a style of management that was toxic and that's kind of the way i learned it and i didn't want it i wanted to do better but then when the time came and the pressure was on i pretty much defaulted to that Over the years, I've been able to to soften that and uh, and to develop a a very different style um, that I feel is based on competence. But it's also based on the uh, constantly changing and in flux with whatever the concept is and whatever um, the level of the team that I have is. You know, I've been involved with the United States Party Tenders Guild and so have you. And I like talking about it because I want people to be aware that this exists um, because I wasn't, you know, for such a long time. Um, how is that affecting the, the industry's uh, culture? But first, I start with the culture of, you know, a single unit, a single bar.
1: So, so this is something that, again, I'm going to reference Justin because we're building a bar. We're going planning on opening a bar soon. So we have had a lot of discussions where we sit down and fill... We, we sit down and talk about how Justin's very about the feelings. So I've kind of, I use that language a lot because I, I feel a certain way about something. Um, so that's normally how we tell each other, like, we should do something. We feel a certain way about something. We feel strongly about that thing. So it all starts with what, if it's a concept that you're not developing and it's for someone else, you need to understand what that owner is going for. Um, first and foremost, you need to understand the market that you're pli- that it's in. So within the one-mile radius, two-mile radius, five-mile radius, and as a city as a whole, see where the market trends are happening because trends are really important. That's going to dictate what you need to put on your menu and whatever vibe you're going for. Um, And if you're opening your own place, it's whatever you want to do. But again, um, looking at the market, and the trends are really important as far as developing a culture. And then once you understand what's happening within your market, then you can start developing the culture of what your establishment is planning to be and the feel and the vibe of that part and who you need to bring in, what, you, what your expectations are for that for that uh, culture. But it's all about ingraining that at the very beginning. So anytime we go in and I consult somewhere, um, we go in we kind of assess and see what's what's going on, what's, how the, the bar staff is, what the vibe is. Of course, when you go in and you start changing something, you're always going to have the people that drop off that you know maybe were not a good fit for what you were trying to do because they didn't see the value in what you were trying to bring to the concept as a whole. Um, But the first thing you got to do is get the staff on board, understand who your staff members are, get to know each staff, each bartender individually, understand the management of that unit. Um, And then from there, you can start reinforcing if they have a culture that they were trying to develop that they didn't necessarily enforce as well, kind of stepping in and enforcing that culture, because that's something that people lack to do. So the owner might have a vision of what they're planning on doing for the concept, but they didn't they didn't follow plan A, B, C, D, E, and f it fell off at a and b and it just kind of the culture kind of died down and the managers and the staff kind of took over and developed it into their own. so just kind of stepping in and and being on top of what you're planning on being for if you feel strongly about something make sure it's known let, let make sure the owners know the staff knows and um, just turn it into part of whatever the program is that you're building To develop that culture, taking care of your people is really important. Understanding understanding what your bartenders and the needs of your staff is is the most important to developing a successful culture in whatever concept your single unit you're trying to open. And and this is two different
0: camps, right? Some people is like, oh, we're family, right? And other people is like, we're a team. And I'm more of a team type person because I feel that if you if you build a strong team, right. You put everyone in their strongest, the thing that they're the best at. The family aspect is going to take care of itself. Because frankly, I've worked in places to where I didn't like some people. You're not family, not even close, right? But you're very professional. You're really good at it. And I know that whenever you're on the floor, you're behind the bar with me, you're going to take care of these things. And I know that my support for you like, is going to be uh, reciprocated whenever you have the time to support. So it's like a really good working uh relationship, therefore a really good team, but we're not going out for a beer, right? For whatever reason. And and that's just natural, you shouldn't force that. And that's that's the way I feel about that. But then there's other people that build really good cultures with the whole uh idea of we're we're family here. And so I I don't have anything against that. But I know that once you have a strong team, some of those people after a certain amount of time, you know, you work with someone for 2-3 years, some of those people are going to feel like family to you and that's why i say it's going to take care of itself and then i just think that that uh the other part is like you're saying a b and c people forget that it's a through z and then start again one of the things i
1: like so kind of going back real quick one of the things i like saying when i'm talking to owners and operators when we start consulting is we're not trying to reinvent the wheel I'm like thinking of it as like you take your tires, you get them to rebalance, rebalanced and rotated. Um Sometimes they have to replace the tread. So sometimes you have to reinforce what's going on with the tread because it wears down. And sometimes you have to put the little weights on, on the wheel and tighten the spokes. Like a very brash, like the chefs that I worked for were very, very verbal when they were upset about stuff. Like they would start throwing plates and stuff like that. And we, we're starting to see a culture that's going away from that. Um, Because you're starting to see a lot of the millennial, like our generations are coming in. We're very aware of what's happening within our area and we're very conscious of what's happening. So that's where we're starting to get a little bit more of the, I guess, I guess the best word, best way to put it is, is politically correct um, approach to culture, which not necessarily is the best thing that's happening because you want to keep a sense of culture. It's supposed to be, it's supposed to be unique to each person. Um, So that's where kind of you know corporate mentality of every cook finding that right cookie cutter person that fits in to culture um it works i mean because that's what they want that's how they keep their culture consistent but when we're talking like small environments we have our little subcultures with even within houston we have our little demographic bartender groups that'll kind of hang out with each other and it's kind of cliquish using that dirty word too as well but we have that subset of bartenders that have they only, only hang out or they're associated with this group. And then you got this other bartenders that are associated with this group and another set of bartenders that are associated with this group. And it's just trying to find a way to bridge that gap where everybody's kind of interconnected. Um, and I think USBG does a really good job of trying to hit all those different subsets within Houston. So we have bartenders from all the different major bar players in Houston that are involved in some way or another to uh, USBG. And we do that through just having engaging events with the, with the different supplier partners going out doing community uh, community service activations and stuff stuff like that and keeping them involved um, I think I think it's just all about making sure that everything is cross engaged again we're in a very politically correct environment right now so it's kind of one of those where you kind of kind of gotta walk a fine line but Again, as bartenders, we're all rogues internally, yeah, as yeah. you know. As you know, yeah. um, so we have our feelings about things. Some some of us are a little bit more vocal than others. But again, it's all about just having, making sure that you're able to have that uh, emotional intelligence. We're able to be aware of what you're saying and how you're saying it to someone, and how it might be interpreted a thousand different ways. And we we are such a small We're such a large city, but as a whole, the bartending community, even nationwide, we're such a large bartending community, but everybody kind of knows everybody. Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of, it's kind of cool. Kind of cool when you think about it. Like we know people from LA, we know people from New York, Austin, um, DC, Florida, there's everywhere. Everybody's everywhere. Oklahoma, San Diego, just like your network is everywhere. We all are entitled to our opinions, but in that same point, we just have to make sure we're being respectful to that other person and not being disrespectful to them and understanding where they're coming from because I can understand where other people come from too when they have a difference of opinion as well. So that plays a big role in it.
0: Yeah, I get what you're saying, but no. (laughs) No, I'm just playing. Um, I have this thing about political correctness, and I don't like to use that word anymore because um, speaking of of the restaurant culture, how it has changed and what millennials millennials have done, is, I think it's just taken away the the unnecessary... um, Uh, crass and aggression that has existed. Political correctness, I think right now, has been tainted out of the the extreme people that feel like you have to walk on eggshells. I've never been willing not good at or anything I've never been willing to walk on eggshells because I feel that is is the way you destroy um, individuality and if you're a creative then you never want to destroy individuality because that's where that's where the beauty of what you do is and and to the point of the people that are not anvil because anvil has you know it, up to a point i felt like it was fortunate we were fortunate that they dominated certain aspects of the industry at this point i think they're doing us a, a disservice and not so not so much anvil I, I love the bartenders there i think are phenomenal and i know them from before uh some of them and I think that there is an incredible service of what they have done and adjusted and adapted as bartenders. But I think we have to be cautious because again, going into the Austin thing to where it's like, we're talking about Texas. Then we're talking about Austin, talking about Houston. Then we're talking about, you know, only Anvil. And it's like, well, what, what are we, what are we doing anything? I'm okay. So red bull vodka, that's all I'm doing now. Right. Because isn't, we're never going to get noticed. And I, I feel that is sort of kind of one of those things whenever you start being a victim of your own success, uh, sort of. And, you know, I think it's more than that uh, because of my experiences, but I'm not going to get into that right now. And the thing is, again, what you you you're not coming from there. Right. And Justin, uh, Nathan Raphael, um, uh Andrew Chapa, uh, you know, and they're Chris Morris. Um, you know, there's, there's, you know, unfortunately it's kind of one of those moments where you blank out all the names, but there are tons of people that have done really great things here in the city that haven't necessarily gotten the attention that I feel they deserved because of this one thing that people just, it's easy to remember, but it's, uh, within our community, I think it's it's a disservice whenever we don't start to promote one another, um, in in that sense and again the bartenders at anvil i love them tommy is a guy that i have watched for a while and i swear to god that guy is like a 60 year old bartender that just knows what you want before you want it you know and just treats you that way every time um and you know he's probably not even 30 yet
1: i mean just kind of reiterating like the fact that we, we have some, there's really a lot of talented bartenders here in Houston, and there's a lot of people that don't necessarily get the recognition that they deserve. Like, all of us are friends, like Chris Morris is a real good friend of mine. Tommy spent two hours with me this week going over, helping me evaluate my cocktails for world class as we get ready to go to nationals in two weeks. And it's a very supportive community, and everybody everybody kind of supports each other in that in that aspect. Very small, like I said very small family that we have here in Houston but we also have that very interesting subset of bartenders that kind of yeah. intermingle with each other but all at the end of the day we all support each other uh,
0: world class all right so you've done it twice this is your second time right third year this is your third year third year, yeah. third year and you go into nationals yeah. okay <laughs> so tell me a little bit about that
1: yeah, so World Class is one of the, the beer competitions I entered, and I've, I've pretty much I caught the bug for it, so I'm probably going to do it for a couple more years until. Awesome. Um, but this is my third year doing it. Um, this is actually how me and Justin met. It's the World Class. Uh, I went into Johnny's Goldbrick once. Like We were supposed to have a meeting. Something happened at the bar that day, so he couldn't come out to the meeting that we were having um, to talk dinner and talk about what we were planning on doing as far as practice rounds for the first the first year I did it. Went out the Woodlands um so i remember walking to the bar he looked exhausted there's something going on the night before went in sat at the bar and introduced myself introduced each other ourselves to each other and just started talking about what we were planning on doing for world class and what bar we worked at and what we liked doing and then from there we kind of turned into the first year we weren't as close friends then second year we both got in again worked really closely that that year together pretty much did all the practice rounds, did all of our R&D for the application process together. And that second year is kind of where we started becoming really, really good friends. Um, And then this past year, year and a half ago, was when we actually decided like, hey, let's be business partners and open bar together. And it was just randomly, we were sitting at Johnny's um, and just sitting there talking about something. And then he just randomly asked me like, hey, do you want to open a bar together? I'm like, yeah, sure. Why not? Let's do it. (laughs) And, And that's kind of where, where not too sweet came to being so can you tell us about the
0: bar that you're planning and can you tell us the name you know you don't have to say anything that you're not ready to but uh i am curious as to what what you guys are are up to
1: so i can't really tell you what the bar name is um i can tell you it's going to be in it's going to be in houston and that's really all <laughs> i can tell you right now because we're going to keep it type lipped but it's going to be coming down the pipe so we're both really excited about it and we've worked really hard. It's taken about a year and a half, two years now of work and labor to get to this point. So nice, it's nice. going to be exciting.
0: Well, man, I really appreciate you coming through. Um, it's uh, it's been a great conversation and uh, I wish you the best looking forward for the, uh, for the bar. I know that you and Justin and uh, we're going to put, put up something that's worth checking out uh, at least two, three times a week. Again, I want to thank Patrick Abalos for taking the time to come by and and have this sincere conversation with me. He and Justin have uh, a lot of uh, great things uh, planned for the city. Uh, I look forward to anything that they uh, put out. But uh, I hope that you're enjoying the conversations in this uh, podcast. So uh, please make sure that you comment. follow on uh, social media uh, Instagram is where you're going to find the uh, open bar experience as well as on Twitter and uh, I'll put the links on the descriptions please visit the uh, website openbar.space you can also find me at uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher TuneIn Overcast and uh, Alexa also I wanted to point out that all the opinions in this podcast are that of my own they don't reflect on anything or anyone and that is because that's the way i want it remember take care of yourself take care of each other and keep the conversation going